Hello, and welcome back to the North Georgia Blue Podcast, produced and distributed by the Fannin County, Georgia Democratic Party. I'm your host, Meryl Clark, and we're getting into some good trouble today with our special guest, Melissa Clink chair of the Forsyth County Democratic Party and avid political activist. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you. We're happy to have you with us again for the second time. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. Thanks for asking me back. Terrific. Well, let's let our listeners know a little bit about you. Melissa Clink is the chair of the Forsyth County Georgia Democratic Party and is a results-driven visionary leader and community organizer known for her ability to win community support, develop key coalitions, and build relationships with a shared sense of purpose in local populations. Melissa is deeply committed to improving the lives of all people by promoting citizenship, trustworthiness, respect, and dignity. Under her leadership, the 7th Congressional District seat flipped to Democratic representation in Congress, showing that her work has already had national impact. Congratulations on that, by the way. And thank you. Chair Klink has also served as the Forsyth County Democratic Committee Chair for six years, where she has a wonderful team of volunteers on her executive board and county committee, as well as grassroots activist coalitions working to change the game in North Georgia in terms of political power. Most recently, Chair Clink graduated from the campaign school at Yale University, a program the New York Times quoted as sadistically intensive. I love that. And she is working to build once again in the newly redistricted, very red, Georgia's 6th Congressional District, where she was elected to chair last year. So, Melissa, you're a very busy lady. You have a lot going on. Let's dive right in. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to share your thoughts on the recent SCOTUS ruling overturning Roe, which deprives everyone with a uterus of their civil and human rights. What are your thoughts on that? And what happens if Congress is unable to codify Roe? How do we move forward? Yes. And thank you for having me on the show. And I appreciate that introduction. So I'm just like everyone else who cares about human rights reeling kind of from Friday. I will say I'm not super sad because I get mad when things like this happen, things that are unjust. And I immediately start to think about what I can do to make the situation better. So that is kind of what I did on Friday. I definitely wanted to make sure that the public had knowledge of the pro-choice candidates that were running in Forsyth County and how to donate and volunteer for their campaigns. I do not think that we'll be able to codify it nationally. So I think that we're going to have to go to the states, which is really, really unfortunate. So we already know every year is really, really polarized and we seem to be more polarized than ever. And we have been kind of since 2016. And making this choice go to the states ensures that this will forever be a polarizing issue on the state level, especially states in the South. I think that we're always going to see this rampant back and forth on the topic of abortion in Southern states. So I believe that we need to focus on our state legislature and make sure that we are talking to everyone that we can talk to. And that includes people that we might not necessarily always talk to or 
talk to about specific issues. So we know that libertarians are most likely going to be pro-choice. We know that there's a lot of conservative voters who are actually pro-choice. I've had an opportunity to talk to some of them over the last couple of days, and I wanted to make sure that we talk about on the show that you need to talk about these kinds of issues with everyone, not just people who think like you, because I think that you'll find that there's a ton of crossover and a ton of people who do want to make sure that the woman has that choice. I think it's interesting that it comes from the religious right, and that is where it it is rooted. This really wasn't a political issue until the 70s when the political right was able to really galvanize support behind that. And they were able to bring more people to the polls and get more money in their campaigns. So they have been able to capitalize on all of that. And it's been unfortunate. But because of that, what is interesting is that I'm a Christian and I think that God trusts me with free will. And that the government should as well. So being a Christian means that you decide whether or not you want to be a Christian, right? No one can be born a Christian. You have to be born again as a Christian. So that is the free will that God gave to me and all humans. And if the government is saying that they don't trust me to make the best choices for me, they are saying that they are more powerful than God. So in my opinion, God is pro-choice. Okay, that's fair enough. The pre-show, you were talking about a book that you're reading currently called A Question of Choice by Sarah Weddington. And she is, of course, the attorney who won the original Roe verdict back in 73. Tell us about that book and why it's of particular interest to you right now. So it's been sitting on my bookshelf for a while. Like you said, before we got started, I'm always doing something. So I try to slide reading in whenever I can. So I knew I wanted to read this one soon and I really just got started, but it was so shocking when I was starting to read it that I had to put it down for a second. And typically you're talking to somebody like I did firefighting when I was 15 years old. I saw my first dead on arrival person when I was 15 years old at a car accident. So I'm not usually a person that is very squeamish at all. I listened to serial killer documentaries to kind of calm down. So the fact that I had to put it down was, wow, this is really jarring and shocking. So I wanted to make sure that I brought it up when we talked about Road Today. So there's two excerpts from the book that I'd like to share with you all because I think it's worth hearing. And I also think that a lot of people who are pro-life really do believe they are doing the right thing. The people who believe that abortion is murder and that there should never be any exceptions and things like that, unfortunately, they are just religious zealots. And because they're not doing a good thing, it is using God to cause harm. And I wanted to be able to point out the ways that it causes harm. So on page 15, the first chapter, it's a question of choice. And it says, now I know there are countless others living out their own private scenes when abortion was illegal. Some of them were not as lucky as I. They ended up in awful places. They were operated on people with no medical skills. Before abortion became legal in California in 1967, the county hospital in Los Angeles had a ward called the IOB, or the Infected Obstetrics Ward. It had about 60 beds for women suffering the results of botched abortions and sometimes abortions they had performed themselves. Doctors and nurses who worked at public hospitals in the days when abortion was illegal, remember women who died in their arms. After I gave a speech in Dallas not long ago, a nurse told me about her best friend who bled to death after her wound was perforated during an abortion. Mm. Another told me about a licensed vocational nurse who had five children and could not face having another one who died from an infection resulting from an illegal abortion. From mid-1970 through 1972, nearly 350,000 women 
left their own state to obtain legal abortions in New York, one of the very few states where abortion was legal then and available to non-residents. So that shows what pre-Roe America looks like. And those are the kinds of things that you can only get in the books written by the people who lived through those experiences. The next excerpt is one article listed three different methods as safe when performed by a competent physician, dilation and curage with anesthesia, vacuum aspiration, and hysterectomy. The message went on to warn against various other methods that involved excruciating pain and could lead to permanent disability, infection, or death. Often women would drink ergo, a poison, or take quinine sulfate. Neither achieved abortion and ergo could cause fatal kidney damage and quinine sulfate could result in deformities in the fetus or the death to the woman. Taking estrogen or castor oil, as some did, had no result. The articles further cautioned women about the dangers of inserting solids or fluids into the uterus, including objects such as knitting needles, artist paintbrushes, telephone wire, packing gauze, catheters, curtain rods, ballpoint pins, chopsticks, slippery elm bark, and coat hangers. These could pierce the womb and the bladder and often cause death from infection or hemorrhage. Soap suds, alcohol, potassium, permanganate, lye, Lysol, pine oil, and other substances inserted into the uterus could cause severe burning of tissues, shock, hemorrhaging, and death. Some women believe that air pumped into the uterus would cause abortion. However, the RAG article warned the result could instead be the introduction of gas emboli into the bloodstream, collapse of the uterus, and sudden violent death. Similarly, the paper warned against using a vacuum cleaner, which was not the same as a vacuum aspiration, a safe procedure when performed by a physician. Using a vacuum cleaner would extract the uterus from the pelvic cavity and was fatal almost immediately. So I don't think that when people talk about abortion, they think about the kind of desperation that you put a person into when you take a medically safe procedure off the table. I don't believe that if it was any other religion, we would be talking about this, right? And I do think that we will be able to gain some ground as far as the Jewish community and Muslim community for being able to say that it's against their religion because it goes against their religious beliefs, and which is the reason why no one's religious beliefs belongs in this conversation. I have a right to believe what I believe. If you do not want to have an abortion and you think abortion is wrong, no one is ever going to force you to have one. But you should never have the opportunity to stop someone else from being able to access a medically safe procedure because you disagree with it on moral grounds or religious grounds. I completely agree. Thank you for sharing those passages. It's important for us to know and to learn more about the issue, especially when it comes to medical safety. So we're stuck with SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States. We're stuck with them for a long, long time, considering their expansion on gun rights and their lack of ability to discern the difference between church and state ostensibly. So we need to keep fighting. And you're right. Let's drill down to our state legislature because our Republican Attorney General, Chris Carr, just filed for an emergency adjudication to go ahead and pass the heartbeat law here in Georgia. So it's coming much more quickly than we think. So Let's chat about the 6th Congressional District race, which is so important and vital to Democrats' future. Forsyth has a number of candidates running for positions. What are your thoughts on these races and how do we win? So Bob Christian is running in the 6th District. He won his primary against Wayne White. Bob is a resident of Dawson and a veteran, and he's an all-around great person. Anyone who talks to Bob walks away enjoying the conversation and really liking him. What he needs the most right now is 
these funds. So if you are at all interested in making sure that the sixth district makes its mark coming up in November, you want to definitely donate to Bob Christian if you are able, because he's up against multi-million dollar backed candidate. The candidate he's against is a ER doctor who is anti-mask and anti-vast. Wow. (laughs) That's shocking. Yeah. So he's not a regular conservative. I wouldn't say at all. He's definitely far right extreme. So I'm hoping that voters will take the time to really look at the two different men that they have an opportunity to vote for and really make the choice that who would best represent the sixth district. On the face of it, that is hands down Bob Christian. And hopefully we'll be able to get some debates in there so that we can talk about things with voters because Bob's opponent will say nearly anything to get elected. He already has several times, including that he would like to put boots on the ground in Ukraine. And Forsyth Democratic candidates span across six different Georgia House districts and two Georgia Senate seats. Tell us more about these good folks who are running to flip the state legislature. Yeah, thank you so much for that opportunity. So first we have Brent Binion. He's going to be running state Senate for District 27. His opponent is Greg Dalzell. One of the things that he is known for is that he founded the Freedom Caucus here. So anybody who follows politics knows that the Freedom Caucus is scary and are on the religious right. He is involved in politics, I believe, because he wants to see education privatized and And it is really dangerous. And he has been really successful in being able to galvanize a little bit of support through people who are going to the Board of Education for that fight that we talked about last time I was on the show. I have an update on that as well, if you want to touch on that later on. And Brent Binion's just an all-around great guy. His campaign slogan is, y'all means all. He just wants inclusivity for everyone. And if he has an opportunity to get his message out there, he will do us very, very proud with voters and serving us in the state Senate. So that's District 27, Brent Binion. And then we have Josh Uden, Senate District 48. That is Dr. Michelle Al's seat. That I believe that is her seat that he is going to be running to maintain. So that will be a maintaining seat. And then Sydney Walker is running for House District 24. And we thought she would be running against Sherry Gilligan. She's been in office for quite some time and definitely is out and about in the community. Definitely don't agree with her politics, but you know, definitely seemed to be someone who was accessible to just everyone. And she was being out by someone who had a lot more money than her, Carter Barrett. So we'll be going against him in the fall. And then we have Claudia Wood. She's in House District 28. And she's more towards the lake up towards Hall County. And then we've got Louisa Shell Jackson. She's running HD 100. And she shares that district with Gwinnett. So we're really, really looking forward to her race as well. We think we will be able to put some great numbers on the board there and hopefully take that seat. We're hoping to take Sydney Walker's seat. Kayla Holifield's seat, she has run before. She's a firecracker. You may have had her on the show before. If you haven't, you used to definitely invite her. Kayla Holifield is running for HD11 and a little part of her touches for Scythe. So we're really proud that she's one of our candidates. She's very progressive and very outspoken and always vocal. And every one of our candidates that I'm telling you about today are pro choice and they have been vocal about being pro-choice and will continue to do so. Matt Helms, he's from HD26, and he would actually be my representative if he was able to flip that seat. And we're working really hard on that part as well. And he had something really great to share that I'll wrap up the candidates with. So Craig Meyer is running HD25. We also have a lot of opportunity as far as that seat goes. We're going to make sure that we're reaching out to several different communities to try to build coalitions to take that seat. And we also have our Board of Education seats. Those are really, really important, especially right now because of all of this stuff that we fought for the last year and a half with the Board of Education. And if you remember from the last time I was on the show, I let you guys know that 
when November came, we weren't really going to see those people at the Board of Education. And we haven't. It's kind of crickets. It's, there's a few people who still show up, but it's not any of the theatrics that they had before. And that's because all of those people have now joined campaigns or started to run for office themselves. So the leader of No Left Turn is one of the candidates that we're going to defeat in November. He's running for Board of Education District 5. And we have an awesome Democratic candidate named Elaine Padgett, who's going to be a really great addition to the Board of Education once we win her election. The same goes for our Board of Education District 1, and that's Jana Kriegowski. And we are really excited about her race. We have a couple different ideas up our sleeve to make sure that we're reaching out to every voter that we can. And we plan to focus all of our efforts specific in the Board of Education races and build out from there. And we are definitely working a coordinated campaign within our county to make sure that each one of the candidates, if they're in an area where someone can vote for the other candidate, as well as them, we're making sure that they are prepared with the messaging that they need so that voters can be aware of who their representative is because it's redistricting. So a lot of people may not even realize who's running to represent them or that they're in a new district. So to wrap up the great story about Forsyth County candidates and how much we've made inroads, the only seats we were not able to field people for this time around were Board of Commissioners. And that is largely due to Anna Purcell Dahl. She works so hard with Khan and Uday Harajan. They are co-chairs for our candidate recruitment committee. And I have to thank them both for the slate that we have of the strong candidates that we'll be putting forward. So Matt Helms just wanted everyone to know, and I think it really speaks for all of the candidates. So I'll just share what he has to say, that hardworking everyday Georgians who have sacrificed and done the right things by their families have more than lived up to their end of the bargain. It's time that they had a seat at the table to have their voices heard in a manner that will shape a better life for their families and their children's futures. I'm running to ensure that happens because all of these wonderful people, my future constituents matter to me. So that's Matt Helms running for HD26. I couldn't be prouder of the team that we have and the fact that we're not only growing how many seats we're running, but we're growing how good we are at running them. So everything that we do has been a progression. So I'm just really proud of all the work of all of our volunteers and all of these amazing people who have stepped up to run for office in some really difficult areas to win. Fantastic. And it sounds like you've got a great slate of candidates there as well. So speaking of the Board of Education or BOE, can you provide an update on far-right extremists wanting to defund public education and privatize it? Yes, I would love to. So the last time we were on the show, I really, really praised the Forsyth County Board of Education because I said that they had done the right thing. And no sooner had I said that, did they reverse course. So they dropped DEI. After that, I had thank them publicly. And the other side made a video and put it on YouTube and asked why Democrats were thanking them and all of these things. So I think they allowed political pressure to make them do the wrong thing. So they didn't stand on their principles. And I'm really saddened to hear that and disappointed when it happened. What we do know about what's left of the people who are coming to the Board of Education, like I said, they're really far right, extreme, kind of the QAnon group that will stand up in a Board of Education meeting and talk about the preferred president won the election and everything's a lie and kind of just spitting out conspiracy theories. And the board has thus far allowed them to dictate how they were going to handle things. But I I will give Forsyth County Board of Education a little credit. They did reach out to us after the fact to ask that we have some representatives from our side of things on their planning commissions that they were working on for the next year. I think they were working on their strategic plan. So we were able to put a few voices in those rooms to be a part of those discussions. And one of the most interesting things that came out of that was that the concerns that these far-right parents had were not the concerns of everyday average parents who were there in the room. In fact, 
a lot of their concerns didn't even make the cutting. So they got cut. So I think that they're headed in the right direction, but I think the political pressure is still there and that parents who are sane and parents who are reasonable and want their children to be exposed to all kinds of accurate history, I think they need to continue to be vigilant because those parents aren't going to go anywhere. It'll continue to be a problem. But the best way to defeat them is at the ballot box. If we snuff that out with an enormous turnout and they are rejected kind of soundly, I think that we will see that tamper down moving forward. Okay, great. So you had also mentioned the Forsyth Education Coalition pre-show before we started recording this. What is that? And why do we need it? So the Forsyth Education Coalition is a non-political, non-partisan group. So there's lots of ideologies in there, but they're all there for one purpose. I don't want to misspeak for them, but they really got involved and stepped things up when the book bans started happening and what they viewed as attacks on LGBTQ authors, as well as authors of color. So any kind of specific diversity, it seemed like we're a target for this supposed Forsyth concerned parents group. There was a really small minority, but they were really loud and really hateful. So they made sure that they were bringing a lot of attention to the Board of Education. So that group is super active. They hold meetings. They talk all the time. They let me know if we could share anything for them to get their message out. I'm sure that they would send it to the Republican Party if they felt like they would be attentive to that. Really just anybody that can get their message out. So it's not necessarily that we are Dems and that's why they reach out to us to share it. It's just that we support what they support. And that is making sure that they follow the rules that are already on the books as far as when they review books, a parent has asked the school board to look at how long that process takes and who is on those boards to make those decisions to remove those books. So basically it's focused on the book ban, but it has to do with protecting teachers. It has to do with making sure that other authors are represented in our Forsyth County schools. And they just become the board of education watchdog group to make sure that we and everybody in the community knows what's happening at the board of education. Fantastic. And I know how important the education issue is to you. So thank you for all your work on that. So other than voting, which is so important to vote on the ballot from the top all the way down, because PSC, the Public Service Commission, Board of Education, all of these seats matter, right? especially on the local level. So what can people who want to make sure we don't go back in terms of Roe and such gaslighting as divisive concepts do in our state? What can the ordinary citizen do to ensure that our rights are protected. Well, I'm glad you asked that. And I'm actually really glad you brought up the divisive concept. So we definitely consider that Board of Education a candidate, especially the one we really want to make sure that we defeat in November to be a divisive parent and to be someone who would bring divisive concepts and attitudes to the Board of Education. In fact, that's the reason why he's running. He would like to defund public education. So he would like to drain as many tax dollars from public education as he can so that he in turn can say that the public education isn't suiting the needs of the students anymore. And there may not be any need for public education at all. So one of the things I just want to make sure that we talked about today was that divisive concepts, they're subjective. So they're based on or influenced by personal feelings, tastes, or opinions. An objective is not influenced by personal feelings or opinions when representing facts. So what we need to remember about divisive concepts is I can say something is divisive and the next person may not agree with me. 
So we need to make sure that we're going to elect people into those positions who are going to make choices based on facts and not on their feelings. And I think that we really have some strong candidates who are able to be objective in their decision making and have no intention of politicizing the atmosphere to the Board of Education. They'd actually like to bring it back to just being about education and what they can do to support their teachers and their students and implement those programs and continue to be the great schools that Forsyth has to offer. And then the next thing that you asked about was what can people do, right? Well, you got to vote. Voting is going to be paramount to what you can do, but I need you to also start talking about this with your neighbors. I need you to start talking about it with your uncle who may not believe it. I tried to speak to a family member this weekend and it didn't really work out all that well. Got a little frustrated, left the conversation myself, but I was able to share my points. And you do know and be aware that there's going to be people in here who their choices on it or how they feel about especially Roe, may not ever change, but you may have planted a seed in them where they understand that an all-out ban or a heartbeat bill is detrimental to women, detrimental to people who have uteruses. Well, especially in Georgia, Mm -hmm. where we have one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the country. Right. It's forced birth, especially in Georgia, in a state where women die routinely due to lack of resources. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, the statistics are even more alarming and really disgusting for Black mothers. Yes. Not only the statistics show us that Black mothers have less access to prenatal care and healthcare access in general, but they're dying at larger rates than across the country. So it could be said that it's dangerous to be pregnant, especially while Black in Georgia, because of the lack of healthcare and lack of access to healthcare. And a lot of those things could be fixed with democratic policies, policies that shouldn't even even be seen as democratic policies like expanding Medicaid. Expanding Medicaid is the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do, not because Democrats want it done. But the only people who are going to get it done is going to be Democrats. And, and electing Stacey Abrams is step one of making that happen. The other thing is, as far as voting, you have to get involved in a campaign like today. If you're not already involved in a campaign and asked a candidate, what can I do to help you? Then you're not helping. You may feel like you're helping, you're just not, as far as the overall scale of everything. And and what I mean by helping is not giving up every Saturday from here until November. Let a candidate know what your capacity to help is. Maybe you're really good at graphic design. Maybe you own a printing company. There's a lot of different ways for you to help candidates that don't always involve giving up all of your time or giving up all of your money. But we know that that's how we get messages out is with money. So donating if you don't have the time to candidates. Now, I understand that we are also telling people that they need to find abortion providers and the people who are already doing the work on the ground. But because of what I do, I would ask that you put your money into a pro-choice candidate in your community and that it be someone in the state legislature because that is where we're going to make these decisions. We can have all of the good candidates we want. If we do not get them in office, we lose. This is a numbers game. So I believe the last I heard that we need to hold every seat that we have, plus gain six more seats to be able to have a fighting chance. And obviously we need to elect Stacey Abrams because we need to be able to make sure that she has that veto pin ready. Right. And again, on the ballot from the top down. So many people vote for the top seats. They vote for governor, they vote for attorney general, they vote for say insurance commissioner, but they don't go all the way down the ballot. So I would urge our listeners again to make sure that you not only come out and vote, but vote fully for, of course, democratic candidates if you want to maintain our rights. So pivoting in a different direction, tell us about the recent Yale University course, which you just participated And what was it? What did you learn? And how will you apply it in your county and across the state? 
So it was a really wonderful program. And Congresswoman Nikki Williams is actually who told me about it. She's an alumna of the school herself. So when she said that I should go for it, that was enough for me to believe that maybe I could do it. So I applied and had two letters of recommendation, both from Congresswomen. So that helped me, I think, get it into the program. And then the program cost quite a bit. It was $1,800 for the program. So they encourage you to fundraise, which is part of the point. They want to see if you're able to reach out to your networks to be able to raise those kinds of funds. And I was really, really grateful for my network because they backed me so much that I was able to raise those funds within 24 hours. So some of those hours I was asleep. So I was just really touched and impressed that so many people believe in my success and believe in that personal development. So fast forward to the campaign school at Yale. So I don't like to do anything basic. So I don't take anything the hard, the easy way. So I tested positive for COVID the very first day of the campaign school at Yale. Luckily it was virtual. So they had already planned for that ahead of time. And it was the first time that I had had COVID. I dodged it for two and a half years and I got it on one of the most important weeks of my entire year. So it was very interesting to have that challenge of being sick at the same time, because it was a really grueling course. Like we said in the introduction, it was statistically intensive. It was every bit of that. It began at 8.30 in the morning every day. Every night kind of got progressively a little bit later. So by the last couple of nights, we were staying up till like one and two in the morning to get our stuff done. So what we were doing was going to classes all day long. And then we broke out into small groups where we worked on our own case studies. And it was just really phenomenal. Like I had COVID and I had a phenomenal week. So that should tell you how amazing it was. I learned so much and I was really shocked and a little bit validated as far as the information that I already knew going into it. I didn't think that I was as knowledgeable as I was. And I learned a lot. I don't know if you've heard of Patty Murray. Uh, no, I'm not familiar. I'm sorry. So she's a senator in Washington state. And in the 90s, when she was trying to get a pre-K program to not be removed from Washington state, the legislator that she saw said that she was just a mom in tennis shoes, that she couldn't get anything changed. She was insignificant, basically. So she mobilized 13,000 people. And that's pre-internet. I always think that's very interesting to point out that people did this work without the internet before I came along. Mm-hmm. So it's really impressive to know that so she won that election and she's been in office as a senator for Washington State since 1995, I think it is. And this year she has a really formidable challenger and Tiffany Smiley. So she's a Republican running against her. And we know Washington's a blue state, pretty solid blue. But this year, Tiffany Smiley actually has a shot. So Tiffany Smiley is pretty impressive in her own regard. Please look her up. I may be messing her story up. So don't want to tell it wrong. But basically her husband was injured in the army and he was injured in an explosion where he became blind. And while he was blind, the army came to the hospital and asked her to sign his discharge papers before he had even been released from the hospital. So she got angry and she told them she wasn't going to sign it. And that they were the reason that he was injured and that he was blind, but he was not unable to work and that they needed to find a place for him in the army. And they did. So she went up against the military and she won. And I think that anyone who hears that story thinks that's pretty impressive. So what our class was tasked to do was to come up with a campaign plan for January through November to determine how much money our specific candidate would need to raise, how they would raise that money, where they would put that money, what ads they would buy, which media markets they would look at, what the win number was, being able to determine to see if you could project what the turnout would be. Another interesting fact about Washington State is they have all mail-in voting. So all of their voting is done by mail and they still don't have a hundred percent return rate. So they have about an 85% return rate, but you think, oh, well, if they made it that easy for everyone, why is it not hundred, you know? So I thought that was interesting. And so 
we had, I think, 60 people in the class. And so we were split up in sets of 10 and we had advisors who had been through the program before. We, I had a great advisor. Her name was Stacy Chavis. She's actually a Georgia native. Well, she's not a Georgia native, but she lives here. So there was actually a couple of Georgia girls on my team. So that was really cool to be able to connect with them and learn from all of their experience and things like that. So I was fortunate enough to be on the Democratic side. So I didn't have to be on Tiffany Smiley's side. And our team won when we presented on Friday what our plan would be. So we presented an $18 million plan for how Patty Marie retains her seat. Fantastic. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah. So when I came back and I was dealing with these smaller races and kind of looking at smaller numbers, it kind of made everything just fall into place. There was a couple of things that I didn't know because all of this I've done up to now has been self-taught. It was just a passion. something I had discovered I was really good at and I kind of went with it. It's great to put some training behind that. And now I'm working with a couple candidates. So that's great. I'm working with a candidate in North Fulton. Her name is Peggy Gillen. She's running for District 49. She is going against Chuck Martin and he has been in some form of elected office since about 93 or 95. He wasn't always a state representative and it seemed like he took a couple of years off in between that. But if we are able to unseat him, which I think we will be, for Peggy to win that election, that would be one more seat to add to the house. So I think it's really great. Everything I learned at the campaign school at Yale, I've already been putting into my everyday life. I think I started using what I was learning almost immediately. And I'm just really grateful to chair and Congresswoman Nikima Williams, as well as Congresswoman Carolyn Bordeaux, who both wrote me letters of recommendation to get in there, as well as every single person who donated anything to my success. I think everybody who has known me for a long time realized that anything that I ever go to, to those kinds of things, kind of trainings or anything that I have an opportunity to go to conventions that I always bring back where I came from and make sure I pass on as much knowledge as I can. Do you have any aspirations to run for office yourself? Melissa? No, not at this time. I really enjoy being behind the scenes and working with candidates on messaging and the organizing aspect of it. I like seeing the end result of our combined work. Not being a candidate allows me to say a lot more than I could if I was a candidate. But of course, never say never. But I don't see myself running for office anytime in the near future. I do see myself continuing to consult for candidates as well as campaign manage. And I just want to continue to grow in that aspect and learn all I can so I can apply it. Okay, terrific. Tell us about your initiative called leading the way in Forsyth. What does it mean and how will you achieve your goals? So leading the way was really just a statement to talk about all of the candidates. We're going to be doing Operation Blue Wave 3.0 this year. Conan is my first vice chair. He does work with Daisy Blue. That's how we met. And he has now been with us, I think, two years. He's been on board. He's a state committee member too. Conan has brought a new level of stepping up what we're doing with our candidates. I was able to talk to him about win numbers and things like that and the demographics of the area and what we do with our persuasion universe. So we are taking away at one-on-one discussions with them so that each one of those candidates know that we are here to support them and we have a plan for each one of their races. Of course, the candidate is in charge. So like if they don't love our plan, they can do what they would like to do. But what's so amazing, I can't really say enough, is that every time we come out, we progress. So when we first started Operation Blue Wave, it was a signed situation. It was making sure signs got to supporters, that we did signs the week before early voting and that people knew that Democrats were here and it was successful. And the next cycle that we turned on Operation Blue Wave, then we writing thousands and thousands of postcards because that was through the pandemic. So we weren't able to knock doors. And this time we're ready to cut some turf and we'll definitely all be knocking doors coming up. So it's exciting to see the progression of the committee and all of the people who have been here for so long working so hard. Fantastic. Well, 
Finally, if someone wants to donate, volunteer their time, et cetera, for your Forsyth County candidates and your campaign initiatives, where would you send them? You can go to www.forsythedems.org and you should be able to find all of our candidates there. One of the most active parts of our social media is definitely our Facebook page. That's Forsyth County Democrats. And make sure that you specify Georgia because we do share Forsyth County Democrats with North Carolina as well. So you want to make sure that that is specific. If you have any questions or you would like to help the committee or any of the candidates I've mentioned throughout the show, you can also email Forsyth County DP, as in Democratic Party, at gmail.com. And all of our information is online on how to get in touch with us or myself or any of my executive board members or any of the committee members. Terrific. And tell us a fun fact about yourself. Melissa, something not necessarily related to your work, although I suspect you work 24 hours a day. There really isn't um, kind of a moment to breathe right now. I think that it's going to get even busier, but I do have one of those word of the day or quote of the day calendars. And I had a really great one from Friday. So I thought I'd close us out with that. All right. It says, few will have the greatness to bend history, but each of us can work to change a small portion of the events. And in the total of all of those acts will be written the history of this generation. And Robert F. Kennedy said that. And before I even knew he said that, that's how I live my life. That's how most of the activists that I know live their life. We know we can't do everything. We know that we can't do it alone, but we can do something. And so if you are listening to this and thinking, what can I do? Do something. Mm -hmm. Find something to do. And as busy as I am, if you find my inbox somewhere, you find my phone number, you find my email and you say, Melissa, what can I do? I will give you a job. There will be plenty to do. So I think there's plenty of chairs across the state, congressional district, as well as county chairs who have the same idea. If you want to get to work, we have work to be done. And if you have an idea that you think maybe we haven't thought of, then you need to come and bring that to us. One thing I want to remind everybody is that the people who show up are the people who made the decisions. It's the same thing when you're voting. Absolutely. And I agree completely. Well, thank you, Melissa, for joining us today and sharing more about your critical work to support democratic ideals and policy. I'm Meryl Clark, and on behalf of our team, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the North Georgia Blue Podcast. Join us next time when we chat with Kim Floria, 9th Congressional District Democratic candidate running for Georgia House District 30. To learn more about us and the work that we're doing, visit us online at FannonCountyGeorgiaDemocrats.com. All spelled out, share the North Georgia Blue Podcast with your friends and family, be sure to subscribe and follow. And if you enjoy our podcast, be a founding patron and friend of the show at NorthGeorgiaBluePodcast.com slash patron. Now with three different giving levels to choose from, offering cool swag, recognition on the show and website, and valuable gift cards to help us continue getting into more good trouble.